It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, are you listening? Now, turn to your other neighbor and say, you better be. Okay. Now, before we get started too far, I want you to stand up and want you to hug each other. Come on, stand up and hug each other. Come on. Come on, stand up and hug each other. Some of you need to stretch, I can tell right now. All right. That's right. That's right. All right. Once you're through hugging, you can sit down. Once you're through hugging, you can sit down. All right. I see it up here. Yeah, okay. Awesome. One thing that one thing that my granddaughter does is she likes to raise her hands and praise Jesus. So. Kelsey, raise your hands. Yeah, praise Jesus. All right. <laughs> praise Jesus. There we go, Kelsey. Hey. All right. What's the funny things we do for little kids? <laughs> All right. I got to tell you one thing. Uh, the, the figurehead of Jesus on the wall over here, Peggy Horton gave that to me one day. She called me and she said, uh, I said hey, Preacher, I, I, I found this. I want you to put it at the church. And I thought, hmm, okay, Peggy, we'll put it up there. And I really didn't know where to put it, so I put it right there. And that's where God led me to hang it. It's been hanging there ever since. But it's one of those odd figurines. Sometimes you'll look at them and the eyes will follow you. You go do that. You go right up there and look at those and then go walk around here and see if those eyes aren't following you all through this church. It's really something. But that's the way the Lord is. He knows what's going on in your lives. All right? Okay. Installment number four, last, last in our series, Shopping for a Savior. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 again, verses 8 through 20. That's our text for the last four weeks. Five years ago, the headlines in December, on December 15th, five years ago, the major newspaper headlines for LA Times, Hussein captured. Chicago Tribune, U.S. captures Saddam Hussein. USA Today, captured was the headline. Can you believe it's been five years ago? Five years ago. December 15th, 2003. They hunted for him. I mean they hunted for him over eight months. They made over 600 raids. The American troops tracked this old scruffy and haggard Saddam Hussein and found him in a dirt hole at a farmhouse near the, in the town of Anwar, 10 miles south of Tikrit. And they captured this elusive dictator without a shot fired. Very tired and jubilant U.S. civilian administrator L. L. Paul Brimmer III said, Ladies and gentlemen, we got him with that statement. Earlier in the search, one of the military strategists said that the hunt for Saddam Hussein was like finding a needle in a haystack. We just have to find the right haystack. The military and the CIA 
began to change their tactics on how they were looking for him. They began to question family members, bodyguards, and low-ranking officials. One of Saddam Hussein's relatives tipped off the army, which led to his capture in what's called a spider hole next to a hut. You see, Saddam Hussein surrendered without resistance. And my suspicions are that he was really relieved to be found. He had lived a life of opulence and ease for so many years. And life on the lamb was not for the faint of heart. It was tiring. It was laborious. It was gut-wrenching. And he welcomed the capture. Maybe you've been searching for something equally as hard. Maybe you've been looking for a former classmate. Maybe you've been looking for a house where the Sunday school party is being held. Maybe you're looking for addresses to send Christmas cards. Maybe that perfect gift or that special someone. Maybe you're looking for lost keys. Yeah. Or maybe misplaced school assignments or mislaid tax returns. Or missing children. (laughs) Maybe you're looking for them. Or not, as the case may be. But my hunch is that those things want to be found as much as we want to find them. And I believe this morning that God wants to be found. He is no different. That's what Christmas is all about. God who was found. That's why we come here. That's why we open the Word. Robert Fulgram wrote the book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And he writes about a group of neighborhood children playing hide-and-seek outside his home. And as he wrote, one kid has hidden under a pile of leaves in his yard just under his window. And he's been there a long time. Everybody else is found and is about to give up on this one kid. Fulgram even thought about opening the window and just yelling, Hey, here he is. And then he thought about setting the leaves on fire to drive the kid out. But Fulgram raised the window and he yelled, Hey, get found, kid! And Fulgram goes on to add in his writing that scared him so bad he probably wet his pants and he started crying and ran home to tell his mother. It's hard to know. Hard to know to be helpful sometimes or how to be helpful sometimes. And Robert Fulgram makes the following observation. Better than hide and seek, I like the game called sardines. Sardines, and in that game, the person who is it goes and hides and everybody goes looking for him. And when you find him, you get in with him and you hide there with him. And pretty soon, everybody's hiding together, all stacked in a small space like puppies in a pile. And pretty soon, somebody giggles and somebody laughs. Everybody gets found. Medieval theologians even described God in a hide-and-seek terms. They called him Deus Abscondicus. Boy, I was proud to get that out. But, I think God is a sardine player. Fulgram goes on to write, and will be found the same way everybody gets found in sardines by the sound of laughter and those heaped together at the end. That's who the Christians are. And God will find us. And we'll be found out. Because we're going to be with Him. And never was that more true than that very first Christmas. God came to a neighborhood not to play hide and seek. He came to play sardines. And the first to find Him outside His family were those old shepherds we've talked about for the last three weeks. In verse 16 of chapter 2, it says, They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph, and the baby was lying in the feeding trough. The Savior was not covering 
and cowering in a spider hole. Not trying to be found, but open, open to be found so that the whole world would know where He was. God wants to be found. And then there's the headline news. The Jerusalem Gazette could have read, Lowly shepherds find exalted king. And the story could have read this way. Angels knowledgeable of the whereabouts of the Savior informed several shepherds regarding the precise location last night. The shepherds were outside the town of Bethlehem minding their business. Except for an occasional bleep from the sheep, the night was quiet. And when suddenly the quietness was shattered, an angel appeared announcing that God had come. According to one eyewitness, the angel reported where God could be found. And one of the shepherds awakened last night stated, The angel provided God's location in the city of David. His purpose for coming, a Savior was born to you. The name, he would go by, Messiah the Lord. And the sign that confirmed his identity, a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a manger. Well, apparently, according to the reports, the shepherds were familiar with the location in Bethlehem. They knew from previous writings and informed sources that God would be coming. And after the angel departed, one tired and weary-eyed shepherd in his confusion asked, What was that? According to one onlooker, another shepherd remarked, I don't know what that was, but it scared me so bad, I almost wet my pants. Still another, flabbergasted by the series of events, said, What should we do? Another investig- or intensive planning and coordination, after so much of that, the operation to find the Savior was named Go and See. And one shepherd overheard to say to the other herd tenders, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to stand, there, to stand here to debate what just happened. I'm going to Bethlehem to see for myself. Anybody coming with me? And as quick as a flash, the shepherds left their flock in the open country, searched for the baby until they found him. In a stable, in a rather aromatic stench, the lamb that took away the sin of the world was discovered. The shepherds stumbled upon the young Mary, swollen feet, aching back, leaning against the wall with a child wrapped in a blanket at her breast. Joseph, her husband, exhausted, silent, and yet full of wonder at her side. With barely a ripple of detection, God had come into the world. The shepherds had expected to see angels Perhaps some dignitaries, a high priest or two, but instead they found a few donkeys, a tethered camel, a nervous cow, and and some sheep. The shepherds moved closer to the child, held between Mary and Joseph, and the animals pressed in as well. Maybe it was due to the cool night air, maybe it was the first game of sardines. Regardless, the hunt was over. God had been found. But who did they find? Well, when you look closely at these sheep herders who, who, who sounding strangely familiar to a story that would be later told by Jesus, they left their flock in the open country and they searched for the one lost sheep until they found him. But why? Why did the angels come to the shepherds of all people? In Luke 2, verse 10, it says, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God chose the shepherds because He wanted to show that they're just like us. They're just like us. He didn't go to the rich. He didn't go to the powerful. He came to the shepherd. 
He came to the common folk. That's who we are. God lives in us. God breathes in us. God wants to play a game of sardines with us. He wants to be a part of us. He wants to be in the midst of us. And somebody's going to giggle and give it away where we all are. But that's okay. Because we want more to be in the game. Amen? Amen? Alright. But how? How? Christmas is about finding the best thing. You remember rifling through the presents under, under the tree? You probably knew what was in there. But you still rifle through them, don't you? You have just a little bit of sense of wonder what's in there. And you want to open them up and, whoo, here they come. Yeah. That's right. Kelsey won't. She didn't get as much out of it as she will next year. But, boy, when Jeff said, Kelsey, help me tear that paper. Boy, off it came. Even at one year old, they know what tearing paper means. And there's something behind that paper. Boy, that's the way we are. But we need to do several things to find God. Number one, we need to look for the signs. Nature offers a sign. Nature offers a sign. Let heaven and, and nature sing. We is one of our old carols that we sing at Christmas time. In Psalm 19, 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. Nature offers a sign. Secondly, the human soul offers a sign. Man is a living soul implanted with the consciousness of God. I love it when my children say, Dad, my moral compass is kicking in. At least something is implanted in that child that gets them to remember that. Amen? And we as adults need to let our moral compass kick in. And when it does, don't go there. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you Oh, you know how to fill in the blank. Amen? Because, boy, there's things on TV and things on the movies and radio. We shouldn't go there. And we parents tell our kids, don't do that. Well, we go do it. Uh-uh. Why do you think the kids are in the shape they're in? because they watch the adults do it. Hmm? Oh, I've gone from preaching to meddling. Okay, let me get on back here. Human soul offers a sign. Anselm, the famous Italian theologian, stated that the idea of God in the mind is proof that God exists. Pascal, the French physicist and philosopher, spoke about the God-shaped vacuum in every life that only God could fill. The Bible, the Bible is a sign. The Bible never proves the existence of God. It talks of God as an accepted fact. The opening words are, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Jesus is a sign. And John 1 and, and verse 14, in the beginning was the Word. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh and lived among us. Wow. Wow. There's so much we could go with that one, but let's, let's keep moving. Christmas is a sign. Christmas is that day of God coming to us. It amazes me that people can go through the Christmas season and not see Jesus. I saw an interview the other day of a lady who worked at Lowe's uh, Hardware, whatever they call Lowe's. And she was fired for wearing a button that said, Christmas, let's remember Christ. That's all, that's all this button said. And they fired her 
because she wore the button and wouldn't take it off. And her, her defense was, it's amazing to me that we sell Christmas items, but we refuse to talk about Jesus. That's a fair statement, isn't it? And then she said, why are people so afraid to talk about Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because of sin. If you remove Jesus, you don't have to deal with sin. You don't have to deal with sin. You don't have to deal with heaven and hell. You don't have to deal with heaven and hell. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Why are we at church today? Huh? Yeah. See, we should be doing something far more fun, like being at the bar and getting drunk. Or whatever. Not that I would understand any of that. But we got to, I mean, there's so many things we could be doing. If you take Christ out of it, just take Him completely out of it. But you know, wars cease, commerce stops, Christmas is celebrated worldwide. Worldwide. I love it when they call it holiday tree. I think Terry Bowman and I were talking about if, if you're going to call it a holiday tree, then why don't you show up on, on July the 4th? I want to see a tree there. That's a holiday, isn't it? February 14th is a holiday. Right? Valentine's Day for women. Whew. All right, I want to see a tree decorated right there. No, it's a Christmas tree. Let's call it what it is. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Call Him Christ. It'll, it'll do some, and if nothing else, it'll get people all excited. Stand in the middle of Walmart and say, Merry Christmas! For all of you lines that aren't open. Disputes are even put off. Families gather. Forgiveness is extended. Boy, life's too short to have bitterness, isn't it? Life's too short. Life's too short. When you lose a loved one, you would like to one more time tell them you love them just before they go. Man. Okay? Life's too short. If you've got a dispute with a brother or sister in Christ, bury it. Move on. Reconcile. Forgive. Oh, good things can happen. Great things can happen. A visitor to our world at Christmas time, seeing the lights, the decorations, the trees, the parades, the festivities, the religious services, the slowdown, the stoppage of the world would probably say something must have happened here. It's kind of like that old pioneer traveling westward to the great, across the Great Plains. He came to the uh, abrupt halt at the edge of the Grand Canyon. He gawked at the sight of the vast chasm one mile down, five miles across, more than a hundred miles long. And he says, something must have happened here. Yep. And people will say the same thing when they watch how Christmas affects people. But we've got to look for him. Look for signs, but you also got to look for him in the right place. A golfer was playing golf with a friend and he hit an errant shot into the woods. And as they walked off the fairway into the rough toward the woods, the friend stopped and began looking for his golf ball. Not wanting to embarrass this guy, the golfer, uh, because the ball went farther into the woods, the golfer began to look for the ball with him. After several minutes of searching and finding nothing, the golfer said, are you sure your ball is here? He said, oh no, I know the ball's deeper in the woods. Then why are we looking here? Well, because the grass is shorter here. And they laughed and they proceeded into the woods because, see, that's where they needed to go to find what they were after. And sometimes we don't find Jesus because we're just not looking for Him in the right place. We're not looking for Him in the right place. When you remove yourself from fellowship of church, people say, I don't have to go to church to worship God. You're right, I agree with you 100%. But you'll do a better job of worshiping me if you're at church. 
You can worship him on the lake. You can worship him on the deer blind. You can worship him everywhere you want to go. Football game. Oh, mercy. You can do it. Yeah. But you'll do it better at the church with the fellowship of believers. Amen? Sure you will. I've never yet seen a football game where they played Amazing Grace. Even though they were trying to sing it based on the team that was losing. All right. But the shepherds, they had good sense to follow the angel's advice. In verse 12 of Luke 2, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. They didn't go to Bethlehem to the Hilton. They didn't go to the mayor's mansion. They didn't go to the royal palace. Those places would seem more suited for a king. But Jesus wasn't there. They searched the stable where they knew they would find him in a manger. 2,000 years ago, God came in a way that no one expected. In a place so remote, off the beaten path, nobody expected that would happen. Surely the Savior would be born in a palace or a mansion. After all, He was the King of the Jews. Yet, He would come to this great city of God, Jerusalem. And they thought He would come in such fanfare, but yet born in a feeding trough, born of humble parents, a lowly child in an off-the-beaten-track city called Bethlehem. God came to a manger in a stable, and that's where the shepherds found Him. Now what do we do? Now what do we do that we found Him? Well, the time is of the essence. The time is now. And shortly before His death, ex-Beatle George Harrison was asked about his spiritual journey And the question seemed appropriate since George Harrison was the one that introduced all the rest of the Beatles into Eastern religion in the 60s. And after the group broke up, George Harrison wrote the song, My Sweet Lord, as a hymn of praise to the Hindu deity Krishna. But until the end of his life, George Harrison continued to investigate spiritual matters, summed up his priorities this way. Everything else in life can wait, but the search for God cannot wait. So folks, the time is of the essence. You need God and you need Him now. The shepherds, they agreed. In verse 16 it says, They hurried off and they found God. They departed with haste. They went with speed. They didn't wait. They saw the signs. They looked in the right place and they found God. The search for God can't wait. No one, no one lives forever. Not even ex-Beatles named George Harrison. Searching for God is good. Finding God, much better. Much better. The shepherds found Jesus. And so the question of the hour is, will you? We can learn about God through nature, His Word, our inner consciousness. However, we can only find and experience God through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. To find God, we simply need to confess. And we need to turn from our sin and accept Jesus as our Savior. That's it. That's it. And then seal the deal in the waters of baptism. And when we do our part, God does His part. God will do His part. He saves us from our sins and gives us a tremendous gift called eternal life. And if you have never found God by accepting Christ, you can do so even today by praying where you are and confessing your sin to Him. But I think there's something powerful about standing before a group of people and be accountable to say, I'm a sinner. And I need, I I need a clear conscience before God. Just before we sing an invitation hymn, I've I've asked Terry and Kim to uh, 
testify a little bit about an experience they had just a couple weeks ago. So you guys want to come up, Bill? You want to do it from there? I'd just like for you to share uh, what we did a couple weeks ago and why. weeks ago on a, on a Monday night I think it was yeah. he said I've got, to, I've got to do this pastor so Kim said well I want to too so Kim why did you do and it's not necessary to be baptized a second time but the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.21 that baptism doesn't remove filth from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a clear conscience. And so if you're standing before God at this point and you can't, through confession of sin, have a clear conscience, hey, I'd start it the right way. I love what Kim also said. She said, plus I think Jesus is coming back soon. I want to cover all my bases. <laughs> Not a bad motivator either, all right? But I, I wanted them to share their story with you because, you know, there's probably a lot of us that are in the same boat. For a lot of us, that just Satan has, has just beat us up over the years. And we've allowed him to beat us up. And somehow we've lost that, or maybe never gained the power that God has for us. But uh, thank God the, warm, the water was warm that night, on two weeks ago. And uh, I know there's going to be a change in those two, based on what they decided. And maybe you're in that same boat, and you just need to get reconnected with God. And so I would encourage you to let us know that. Let me know that. What we did privately, the angels in heaven rejoiced. And now you're rejoicing because they have no reservation about telling you what they did, did they? That tells you where their heart is, doesn't it? So this morning, maybe you're saying, you know, preacher, I can't find anything. <laughs> I've looked and looked and looked and I just can't find anything. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is right here. Right here. And he's waiting for you. Father, I ask you this morning to move in the lives and hearts of your people that are here. God, if you'd do a mighty work, it'd be awesome. There's a number of folks sitting in this room this morning that just need some release, some relief from sin. Sin has got them so entangled and wrapped and tied. And uh, Lord, they just need to bust loose from that. And you know what? God, you are ready to do it. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we will confess our sins to you, that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, I ask you today, if there's a, a heart in this room that has unconfessed sin, that, God, they would take care of that this morning. They can do it right there. But I'd love to encourage them to come up to the cross and just get on their knees before the cross and spend some time in confession with you there. And God, it's not important that I know or that any other Christian in this room knows. What's important is that you say, if we'll confess our sin to you. So Father, I want to encourage these folks this morning, if they need that, that they let that happen in their life. And Father, I thank you for the promise 
that you will love us in spite of our flesh and the sin that so easily entangles us. And so, Lord, I ask you today to do a work in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. Mark and Jeff can lead us in a song. Let's sing. If God's moving in you, you need to make a decision. Do it this morning.